Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, you give us so much to be grateful for. Father God, we ask uh, that you would uh, inspire our hearts, God, to overflow with gratitude and praise. God, we be known um, uh, across this city and in our workplaces uh, as thankful people. Father, we give you thanks for your word. We ask that you would uh, bring it to life to us now. God, we long to be uh, more transformed into the likeness of your son. Amen. We've been looking as a church uh, about taking care and tending to our souls uh, across the past few weeks. Uh, And we come tonight to talk about gratitudes. Uh, Our soul uh, is our core purpose. It's the thing that we're um, called to attend to. The soul longs to be in a relationship with God. The soul longs uh, to praise and to glorify God, to recognize him as king and as Lord. And as we recognize that, our hearts and our souls are caused to give thanks to God. Thanks and gratitude is supposed to flow up out of us. It's supposed to bubble up out of us. Uh, If we don't uh, practice gratitude, if we don't live uh, a thankful life, uh, we restrict the things that our soul needs. Our soul needs to be grateful. It needs to recognize that God provides all things and to acknowledge him as king. Our soul needs uh, to recognize our, our dependence on other people as well and to recognize them with gratitude and thanksgiving. We're supposed to overflow with gratitude and praise. Uh, imagine I, um, I came round to your house uh, one Saturday morning, uh, and in my, in my back pocket, I had the keys uh, to a car, but not just any car, the car of your wildest dreams. For some of you, that might be a, a Porsche 911, a vintage MG, uh, whatever it is, I have the keys in my back pocket. Uh, I walk up, I knock on your door, and without a word, I hand over the keys and I slip away. It would be impossible for you in that moment not to try and thank me. Impossible. I'm giving you uh, the car of your dreams totally for free. Thanksgiving and gratitude would have to pour up out of you. You wouldn't be able to stop yourself. It would be impossible for you not to thank me. That's the kind of gratitude that we're called to exhibit. Uh, Gratitude that flows up and bubbles up out of us. It's a truth universally acknowledged that I am probably the most generous member of the P's and G staff team. Uh, I am um, both kind and considerate, and often I go significantly beyond the call of duty to be generous. Dave looks suspicious. It's not true. I'm very generous. Uh, And as I um, I live my overwhelmingly generous life, I bumped into a student uh, maybe 10 days ago, uh, and she let something slip. She said, uh, in a few moments, I'm going to go and meet uh, James McSporran, our youth worker. And I thought, aha, I spy a moment for some classic James Green generosity. So I, I opened my wallet, and I dug deep, and I gave her my last pound coin in my wallet, not my bank account. I'm not stupid. I gave her my last pound coin. I said, when you see James McSporran, I want you to give him my last pound coin uh, and tell him to buy a Greg's sausage roll. James McSporran is a lover of many fine things, but he does enjoy terrible sausage rolls. So I said, you go and buy a Greg's sausage roll with that pound coin. Now, with acts of incredible generosity uh, come responses of incredible gratitude. So the only way uh, that James McSporran could possibly respond was with an act of incredible gratitude. David Jeffries, the slide, please. 
James McSporrin. For those of you who can't see the screen or listening online, James McSporrin took a picture of himself with his thumbs up eating a Greg's sausage roll uh, and next to it the words, thanks so much for my sausage roll. You're the best functioning and looking curate ever. <laughs> ever. And there have been some good looking curates. The best functioning and looking curate ever. It's worth recognizing that when people um, are speaking words of gratitude, it is impossible for them to lie. <laughs> impossible. And if you wanted, you could switch the word curate for person. I think that would be fine. But he saw curate, we'll go with that. I was incredibly generous, and so James McSporran uh, responded with incredible gratitude. When, um, when we meet with the kindness and the generosity of God, uh, the only response for us is that gratitude should flow up uh, and bubble out of us. It should go uh, beyond ourselves and infect the people around us within the church and the wider community. Gratitude is supposed to flow up out of us. And it's uh, that kind of gratitude that we find in our psalm tonight, uh, in Psalm 145. Uh, gratitude is flowing up out of the psalmist. And it starts um, with the psalmist uh, praising God on his own. Uh, he starts off alone saying, I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and exalt, exalt and extol your name forever and ever. The psalmist recognizes that God is supreme and in control, and the only response possible for him is one of heartfelt gratitude. He can only praise and worship, and so the psalmist resolves exactly where he is to praise and give thanks to God. But as the praise bubbles up and rises out of him, it starts to affect the community around him. So before too long, our psalmist isn't praising on his own anymore. He isn't giving thanks alone, but he finds himself in the midst of a community. He goes on to write, All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. As the praise rises up out of the psalmist and flows out and over, it, he calls other people to join with him in the thanksgiving. That's why we join together as a church, because we recognize there's something significant about gathering together and voicing our praise and our gratitude to God. But significantly, this gratitude doesn't stay within the community. Uh, he says, so that all people may know your mighty acts and might extol the virtues of your kingdom. Uh, as, that, as we live graciously and with gratitude, uh, our gratitude flows out from this church and into the communities around us. We're called to, be to live a life of gratitude wherever we are. We're called to live graciously, to be thankful uh, in our workplaces in our homes, in our families, in our schools, on our university campuses. We're called to live a life of gratitude. Uh, and as we live uh, thankful lives, uh, that affects and influences the people around us. I wonder uh, when the last time, when was the last time you chose uh, to express gratitude to someone? Uh, and not just um, a, a thank you, but, but deep, genuine, heartfelt gratitude to someone. I think often we, we feel lots of things, but we don't necessarily tell them. When was the last time you told your boss at work what you were grateful for? When was the last time you, you spoke to a spouse or to a friend and you told them how grateful you were for their kindness? When we express gratitude, relationships soften 
and they take on a gentleness around them. And as we live uh, with gratitude and we express things softly and kindly to people, as we thank them uh, deeply, not just surface level stuff, but deeply, uh, we shape and we change the culture around us. Uh, Our workplaces will become uh, more thankful places. People will recognize uh, a difference in you as you choose to live gratefully. I think often we don't quite know how to share our faith with people. One of the ways we do that uh, is we, we live it out. We live thankful lives. We express our gratitude to each other in a way that lots of the world doesn't do. Uh, So the psalmist uh, uh, has given thanks on his own. It's flowed out into the community, to the church, and he's now changing and influencing the culture around him. He's calling people from outside the family of God to recognize God's plans and purposes for their lives. Uh, And I don't know um, if you've ever um, felt something that you can't express there's ever been a feeling or an emotion that, that you don't quite have the vocabulary to, to call for. Well, that the psalmist experiences something of that in trying to express his gratitude towards God. Uh, he's given thanks on his own. He's called the community around him. It's, his gratitude is influencing the people outside of the church family. Uh, but still, that doesn't quite do enough. It's still a depth in him he can't quite describe. Uh, and he starts to call all of creation to give thanks to God. Uh, He says, my mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Uh, It's like he can't quite uh, do it justice. He can't quite voice the depth of his emotion. So the only response for him is that every creature, whole of creation, even the rocks would cry out uh, and sing and declare the glory of God. The praise is flowing out of him. The gratitude is is bubbling up and pouring out. He can't control it, even if he wanted to. He couldn't control it. He couldn't contain it. And often we look at people who are living lives of gratitude, who are thankful to people, who recognize that what they have isn't their own. Often we think they're naive. We think they're innocent. and We don't think there's any depth there. We think there's a simplicity around them. And that's not true, particularly not true of this psalm, of this psalmist. Uh, Psalm 145 is the last psalm in the court of David. There are other psalms to follow, but this is the last psalm that's written uh, that comes from the court of David's. Now, if you read uh, the very first psalm, if you read Psalm 1, there is a simplicity and a naivety there. There's an idealism. There's a, a sense of kind of hopeful expectation there, which, is, which isn't to be criticized, but, but recognized. Uh, But by the time we get to Psalm 145, it's a different story. If you'd read all 145 Psalms up until this point, you would have seen someone wrestling with the whole breadth of human emotion. You would have seen someone uh, who's known deep despair and depression, who's mourned, who's grieved, who's celebrated and rejoiced and called all of creation to praise God, who's also called down curses from heaven and ranted and railed. Uh, In the Psalms, we find the whole breadth of human emotion from Psalm 1 right through to Psalm 145, which means that when we read this Psalm, this isn't someone who's innocent and naive anymore. This is someone who's lived the whole human experience and at the end of it is still found thanking God, is still found living a life of deep, overflowing gratitudes. To give thanks to God, to live a life of gratitude, isn't necessarily simplistic. It isn't naive. But it will survive everything that life can throw at it. In the midst of difficult circumstances, at the end we're still called to live with gratitude in our hearts. To give thanks to God. 
Often it's difficult, though, to be grateful. Often it's, uh, it's difficult to live um, lives that are overflowing with thankfulness, overflowing with gratitude. Uh, and as I've, um, as I've thought this week, uh, I think there are um, probably two uh, different attitudes that we can end up taking uh, that make living uh, with gratitude in our hearts uh, very difficult. I think the first um, I want to call a debtor's mentality. Uh, a debtor's mentality. Imagine um, I've just given you a, a pretty sweet new car. We mentioned it before. Or maybe even a sausage roll. Uh, and I'm now taking you out uh, for dinner. But not just um, any dinner, uh, a restaurant completely of your choosing. We're going out for your favorite meal. We're going to um, eat delicious food and drink delicious wine. Um, and at the end of it, uh, I put my hand on the receipt and I pay the whole bill. What would your response be? You cheeky cornfields. Often our response uh, is that we, we try uh, and we say, oh, I'll get the next one. I'll pay for the next meal. You paid this time, I'll pay for the next one. Or we, um, we try and put money in their hands to try and uh, even up the balance. Imagine the day after, you're, you're moving house. And I come in my van, I take a day off work, uh, and I help to move you uh, into a new house or a new flat. Anytime you need a favor, just call. That's what we'd say, isn't it? We'd say, look, anytime you need me to be there, I'll be there. You just say the word uh, and I'll come round. I think we, we have in our mind that often we have to um, meet generosity with some kind of equal generosity. We have to kind of keep the balance fair. We don't want anyone to think that we're taking the mick. We don't want anyone to think uh, that we're trying to do someone out of pocket. But when we do that, we deny the person the chance to be truly generous. What if someone wanted just to buy you dinner? Not because one day you might buy them dinner, but just because they loved you and they cared for you. What if they took a day off work to help you move flat? Not because they had a favor they needed from you in return down the road, but because they just wanted to be generous. I think sometimes we transfer that debtor's mentality, the need to repay generosity uh, onto God. We take that same mentality and we, we recognize uh, that God has been incredibly kind, incredibly generous to us, but we, we try um, and somehow pay him back. We say, okay, God, I recognize um, how good you've been to me, but, but I'll, I'm going to try and be a better person to prove that your generosity wasn't wasted. Or we say, I'll, um, I'll read my Bible more or I'll pray more and I'll, I'll do more of the right kinds of things. But that's, uh, that's not really the right response to God's generosity uh, he's not called us to try and repay him at all. He's not called us to try and give anything back. It's not bad to try and be a better person. It's not bad to want to read your Bible and pray more. But when we're doing it from the mentality uh, that we're trying to repay God, we're trying to pay him back, that's when problems start to creep in. In fact, the correct response to the generosity of God um, is the total reverse of a debtor's mentality. If God has been generous and kind to you, uh, he's actually calling you to respond uh, with trust. Uh, and as you respond with trust, uh, he wants you to ask him to do more of the same again. When God meets your needs, when he provides for us, uh, he's trying to expand and increase our faith. He's trying to increase our trust in him. Uh, the psalmist uh, writes of this when he says, What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and I will call on the name of the Lord's. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord's. When God has been kind and generous to us, the response isn't in any way to try and repay him, but instead to, to lift the cup that we've just emptied and ask God to fill it again. 
God longs to be kind and generous to you. He's not asking you to repay it, but instead trust him more so he can do more of the same through you. He's trying to stretch and to grow your faith through providing for you, through encountering you, through talking to you. And as he does that, he's not calling you to repay, but to increase your faith. I think the other way um, we, we struggle to uh, live lives of gratitude um, is we take on uh, a spirit of entitlement. Uh, we think uh, that we've somehow earned it, that we somehow deserve it. We've done enough uh, of the right kinds of things, um, and somehow we're entitled to it. Maybe you've worked um, incredibly hard and you think, uh, I deserve that pay rise, or I deserve uh, the lifestyle that I've managed to buy for myself, or I deserve um, a fully functional family. Uh, We think that we've earned things that are actually not things that we've earned for ourselves, but blessings from God, God providing for us and being kind and generous. I think uh, a good illustration is often uh, a parent-child dynamic. I remember uh, if my parents were particularly kind to me, say they, um, they took me out um, for dinner or they picked me up late from a party, um, I remember that sometimes they would remind me to be grateful to them. Um, and my response would be, well, you're my parents. That's kind of the job, really. And if they, would, um, if they kind of poked me to be more grateful, I would say, well, look, you can decide. Either I'm grateful now and you get a terrible nursing home when you're older, or I'll get you a nice nursing home and we can forget the gratitude. We struggle to be gracious. We view ourselves as entitled. We view ourselves as entitled. And we think that somehow uh, we've earned it or we, we deserve it. But it's impossible to have any kind of attitude of entitlement and be grateful at the same time. You can't think that, that I've earned this and that somehow God has provided it. That The two things are totally incompatible. You have to choose either to live a life of gratitude or to be an arrogant little brat with a spirit of entitlement. The two things are totally opposed. You have to choose which one you're going to operate under. I think another way uh, the spirit of entitlement comes out of us is often um, just through indifference. Uh, we've, um, we've kind of heard the same old stories. We've kind of heard uh, the Easter story, and we've kind of grown a bit cold to it. We've grown numb to it. And it's not that we don't believe anymore, um, but it's just kind of become old. Often that happens to me. It just kind of gets old. I've heard it before. There's nothing new here. Uh, and we forget um, the, reality, um, the reality of what God's done for us, the depth to which uh, he pursued us, the sacrifice that he made. Often we just kind of shrug it off. Possibly that's you tonight. I think that's the way it most often comes out, um, a struggle to live with gratitude. We just kind of shrug it off. We've grown cold. Things have changed, and, and we still believe in God, but, but it doesn't really have the same impact in our lives as it used to. There's, um, I have a particular um, Bible story that I, I love, and I think it, um, it's really good at um, reminding us um, of what God has, God has done for us. It's called, um, it's called the prodigal son. I read it. Then he, Jesus, said, There was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything that he had. After he'd gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all throughout that country, and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry he would have eaten the corn cobs and the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. 
He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got up and went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father refused to listen. He was calling to the servants, quick. Bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to have a feast. We're going to throw a party. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now he's been found. And the party began. When we take on a spirit of entitlement, we, we risk missing out on the beauty of what God has done for us. Because we were once lost. We rejected the plans and the purposes of God. We refused to live uh, as God had planned for us to live. And God refused to give up hope. God refused to abandon his plans and his purposes. He didn't give up on the promises and the things he had in store for you. But instead, the Father pursued you. That the father in this story doesn't sit idly in his house when he sees the son coming, but, but he runs out to meet him. When you're ready to meet with God, God doesn't stand there idly by, but he pursues you. The Holy Spirit is at work in you, was at work in you, uh, before you ever knew God. God wasn't proud. He wasn't arrogant. Uh, instead, uh, he ran out and he pursued you. He chased you. And when he should have kicked you out, when he should have met you uh, with insults and with criticism, uh, he dressed you in the finest clothes. He refused to listen to your complaints. He refused to listen to you trying to justify yourself and say that you didn't deserve it. But instead, God said, no, no, here are the finest clothes. I'm going to put uh, jewellery better than you could ever buy on your fingers. I'm going, to, I'm going to throw an incredible party. You've been eating, uh, you've not even been eating the corn cobs that the pigs eat. But I'm going to get you uh, the fatted calf, the most valuable, precious, delicious meat that I could ever afford. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to throw you a party. See, when we catch hold of the beauty of that story, a spirit of entitlement is impossible. A debtor's mentality is impossible. If you struggle with gratitude, if you struggle to live a life of gratitude, then what you really need to do is catch hold of the enormity of what Jesus has done for you. You need to find yourself in the presence of God, inviting Jesus to meet with you. For some of you, um, you haven't um, met with Jesus yet. You're, you're not really sure um, about faith well, God would long to meet with you. The Father is desperate to meet with everyone, regardless of whether they think uh, they're worth it, whether they think they have it all together, whether they have all their questions answered. God the Father is desperate to meet with you. And as you meet with God and as the rest of us understand the enormity of what Jesus has done for us, as we recognize the Father loves us, gratitude will bubble up and flow out of us like a spring. It won't be possible for us to stop it. And as it flows out of us, we'll find our voice in this community. And as we find our voice in this community, our gratitude will flow out into our workplaces and into our homes. 
into our schools and into our university. We will become known as a people of gratitude who transform everywhere that they go. But before we get to that point, we have to find ourselves again, captured with love for Jesus, recognizing exactly what he's done for us and God's great care and compassion for us. Amen.